Welcome to series four of the Be Inspired to Be podcast, this time with our friends at Armstrong Medical, who have launched a kind of an Inspire initiative, and they're partnering with Belinda O'Leal, the founder, the inspiration, the, the, the person who is Be Inspired to Be, and with the delivery of this podcast. So normally... What you'll find is Belinda has a guest that she wants to get under the skin of and find out why they're inspirational, get to the heart, to the soul of who they are. But today we're turning the tables because we are going to try to get to the heart and soul of the woman behind Be Inspired to Be. Welcome, Belinda O'Neill. Oh, John, (laughs) what an introduction. Thank you so much. And thank you for agreeing to be guest host on this first episode of Series 4 of the podcast. And, uh, I'm delighted to be here. Lovely to see you. You too. And it's it's a pleasure and an honour to be here. Because I know a bit about you, but I want to know a lot more about you. And I want to know about what makes you tick. What what What's in that soul of yours that allows you to inspire others and, and I don't know, it helps you to, to nourish and, and, and grow and make that make what you do even stronger. So that's what I'm trying to get to in the next 25 minutes or so. Where were you born? Here in Newry. Yes, in Daisy Hill, 1977. It was a good year. It was. <laughs> Silver Jubilee. <coughs> oh, that's right, yeah. actually. Yes, John. Yeah. Mm. ABBA were top of the charts. Were they? They were. Knowing me, knowing you. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Oh, very good, very good. And where did you go to school? Did you go to school in Newry or did you live in the town? Did you live outside the town? So I'm actually from a small village called Silverbridge in the heart of South Armagh. Very proud to come from there. And that's actually where my mum is originally from. So uh, my mum and dad built out there. And uh, yeah, I was born and raised, went to primary school in Mullaban. And then when I did the the 11 plus, as it was known back then, um, I followed my sister's footsteps and went to Our Lady's Grammar School uh, here in Newry. Do you cross the border? <laughs> Somewhat. Yes. Somewhat. How did that feel suddenly from being an Armagh woman? Here you were in Newry. I know. The... the the centre of County Down. I know, I know. Well, I think you never lose your roots. Sure, you don't. And now that I live in, in County Down, I live just outside Banbridge in the Bronte homeland. I, I live in, in the county of Down, but my heart is uh, is always at home in South Armagh. That's very diplomatic. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so school, I want to know about your school. <clears throat> yeah. What inspired you at school? Were there inspiring teachers? Were there were there yeah. peers? Were there other students that you met that you thought, gosh, I want to be like them? What what was it that inspired you during your school days? Do you know, I was very heavily in, involved in drama and singing when I was in school. Um, I was in the choir. <clears throat> and so that was probably the, the creative outlet. When I think back and reflect back, that was the creative outlet that I would have had. Um, whilst I was somewhat intelligent, I probably wasn't very academic um, in terms of maybe not totally knowing how to study and all of that. So whilst I did OK in exams, I passed them. Um, I certainly wasn't an A star um, pupil, but I probably was very holistic and very rounded and very people orientated back then. Were um, you chatty? <laughs> yes, I was, but not in a totally extrovert way. 
I had a small enough circle of friends, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I wasn't, it, I might appear to be maybe sometimes very extrovert and loud and whatever, but actually, maybe behind it all, I'm, I'm not totally like that. Sorry, I'm not saying I'm not authentic, but, you know, yeah, no, growing up, I, I had a small circle of friends. It was probably more quality over quantity. And probably when I think back, you know, there is one standout teacher who um, really influenced me in a positive way and I'm so blessed that in later life that it went full circle um, and that we collaborated in terms of the book because she actually designed my cover of my book and that is Pamela Manson Um, she's known as the Donegal artist and she was um, head of art um, and she was also the drama teacher back um, when I was in her 80s so um, she cast me in fifth year um, as the leading lady in Fiddler on the Roof. I played the role of Golda, um, and I absolutely loved that experience. It was amazing. Oh. Yeah, it oh. was absolutely amazing. Do you love me? <laughs> Do I what? <laughs> I know. And you know, like for an amateur production, it was it was so professionally done, if that makes yes. sense. Um, of course. You know, they, they did really threw so much resource at it. Um, and I remember going in o- over the summer, um, you know, to rehearse and all of that. So it was it was wonderful, wonderful days. Um, and through the choir, we got so many experiences and um, out at concerts and, yeah, being on stage, but obviously with, with your peers and um, a harmony of voices coming together um, to deliver a message. So wonderful, wonderful memories. Of our ladies. Um, however, I suppose, you know, the tables did turn slightly because in that fifth year, which started off gloriously, um, unfortunately, in the February of that year, um, a few months before GCSEs, I did take ill and I ended up undergoing major gynecological related surgery. surgery. Um, so I, yeah, I had ovarian cysts and I, I had um, had them removed in the February. Um, so... Yeah, so that sort of set me back a little bit. Um, I ended up getting a bit of homeschooling because I wasn't um, able to attend school for a few months. Um, and I was given the option, um, the school were very supportive and, and they did give me the option to repeat the year if I wanted. Or um, at that stage I was doing 10 GCSEs, they gave me the option to drop three because the minimum I was allowed to do was seven, just to be able to see how, if, you know, how I got on and um, to be able to then allow me to go back in to do A-levels. So that's what I did. I uh, did seven GCSEs and I, I passed them all, do you know. Um. How did that affect your dreams? What was your dream at that time? Was it that you wanted to act, that you wanted to be involved in drama? Did you see yourself on a stage? Yes. And how did that, how did, first of all, the surgery and mm. the psychological effect of that and then the the removal from the school environment, yeah. from the socialisation with all your peers, how did that affect your dream? Yeah, and, and you know something, John, it's probably, this is actually going to be a wee bit of like self-therapy for me because it's probably something that I haven't formally spoke about. So thank you for the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, it did. It knocked my confidence. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, if somebody had said to me when I was, you know, 15, 16, what was your ambition? Um, it, you know, I always wanted to be in a West End musical. That was probably where I really saw my my future um, in terms of a dream scenario um, and yes the stage was involved <laughs> you know I loved singing um, I loved the drama aspect of everything and yeah I just loved that performance piece you know and hopefully and still enjoy in, 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 in an audience um, 
So, but it did. It definitely set me back. It definitely knocked my confidence. And I found it quite difficult to come back into the school environment. But I had great support. And I got there and I got through it, do you know. Um, but I suppose when did I... Did you realise at the time what an achievement that was? Actually, no. No, because you're in that cycle of just doing because you had exams, you know, you wanted to do well. I didn't want to have to repeat the year because that was going to put me in a different year group, if that makes sense. Not that I, you know, it would have been fine, I suppose, retrospect. But, you know, you've, you've come through the journey with a certain peer group and you want to continue and fulfil your journey with that peer mm. group. So yeah. I didn't want to have to repeat the year. So I probably pushed myself maybe, maybe a bit too hard, maybe, I, I don't know, but to basically succeed in that year and get the seven GCSEs to enable me to go back into lower sixth, which I did, but just couldn't settle, John, and found it very difficult to settle into lower sixth, so much so that um, I left at Christmas time. And I and who decided that? Did you decide that? Did your parents decide no, it? No, I, in fairness, mum and dad were very supportive. My sister had gone to Armagh, um, Armagh College and had a great experience there and I said you know maybe that could be something a new start a fresh start and maybe that could be something I could explore so mum and dad were really supportive you know whatever you need to do Belinda that's absolutely fine um so yeah so took myself off to Armagh Tech found it quite (laughs) quite challenging too in terms of just a new brand new environment this is going to sound again probably a bit strange but during my journey in hospital, having my operation, I um, met this wonderful lady um, called Rita. And she became my mummy in hospital for the week. I feel like I was in hospital for a week. And she literally became my second mummy. And we, she had two, uh, two daughters and, and two sons. But yeah, we just, we, just, we just clicked. So whenever she discovered I was going to Armagh Tech, I, f- I phoned her, you see. And I said, listen, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to go to Armagh Tech. I'm going to do me A-levels. Um, and, you know, rather than having to travel up and down every day, because I couldn't drive or anything at that point in time, I said, I'm maybe thinking about maybe staying during the week. And I said, you know, is there anywhere you'd recommend or anything, um, anywhere? She says, absolutely, you're going to come and you're going to stay with me. Brilliant. So it's What like, a lovely offer. It's like how these tables turned and how, you know, a tragic, tragic situation, I suppose, in, in many ways of having to undergo major surgery at the tender age of 16 to then meeting this wonderful lady who then, you know, offered me a home. Um, not that I needed to, but it was just around the commute piece. Um, I didn't want mum and dad having to be running up and down the road to Armagh um, every day. So to me, it just made the most logical sense to stay during the weekend and, you know, come back home at the weekend. But isn't and it so, amazing how life does that? Yes. That during times of adversity, yes. you're pointed in a direction or yeah. you're nudged down a little side yeah. street and you meet somebody yeah. who can influence your entire life. Absolutely. And, you know, um, the girls, oh, sure, the crack. Do you know, it was like... Um, the the week the the weekday sister do you know what I mean moving in and you know and, and that could so have been, she had her own children she had, round she about had, your age well, they were a wee bit older than me just right. a couple of years older than me so two girls and two boys and it probably was unsettling for them you know for this stranger practically coming in and, and living with them from a Sunday night to you know a Friday morning because then I got the bus home on the, on the Friday afternoon um but they took me in under the wing and you know it was home from home and my mum um was so happy that I was happy that she didn't have to worry about me yeah so so that was the Arma, the Arma tech. How did you feel when you got in the bus? Then. 
to go down or to go home. Both directions. Well, mum and dad would have taken me down ah, right. most of the time, yeah. Great. Um, with the bag, you know, the the clothes for the week. Um, and, and would then, they have snuck in any packs of Kit Kats? <laughs> no, they didn't have to because, I, honestly, I was so well looked after. It was home from home. It was amazing. Uh, very blessed and an, a really lovely experience, um, you know, to experience a different family because there's me and my sister in our house, so it's a small family, I suppose, to a larger family. It was a different dynamic, but a wonderful time. And I'm smiling as I'm talking about it and, rem- and remembering because we great crack. Well, maybe wasn't a huge amount of studying done, to be fair, but we great crack. And... Yeah, and then the bus home on Friday, then it was lovely and to share what had happened during the week. And mum and dad, of course, you know, loved to see me then. And um, my sister was at university at the time, so she would have been coming home the weekends too, you know. So, so yeah, so it was it was different. But, yeah, really memorable, positive experience um, as I reflect back, John. So how did this young woman, with dreams of playing Golda in the West End, <laughs> on a stage anywhere, and singing, Do You Love Me, Do I What?, <laughs> How how did she, having gone through this experience of this traumatic, life-changing experience and ending up with this beautiful family in Armagh who inspired her and who gave her love and warmth and joy and laughter, how did she end up in the bank? <laughs> so um, I left, uh, I did do my levels at Armagh Tech, but I, I think that journey of staying away from home, whilst I did enjoy it, I just... I just thought, you know what, I'm not sure university right now is for me. Hmm. Um, and I was working part-time in Curry's um, at the time, the weekend. Um, my sister worked uh, in Texas, it was called, but it's now home base. Um, and I worked next door in Curry's. And it was just on a part-time basis for a few extra quid to take us out at the weekend, to take us to Lacey's, you know, on a Saturday night. And, and this would have been mid-90s, 95, yes, 96. yes. Yes. So I suppose, you know, I enjoyed working. I enjoyed earning a little bit of money at the weekends. And the lady in the office, you know, we were chatting one of the days and she says, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to go to university. What are you going to do? And I said, you know, I'm not really sure. Um, And at that stage, you know, back in in that uh, 96, 97, if you go into the civil service or you go into the bank, Back in those good old days, it was, you know, deemed to be a job for life. Job for life, pensionable job. (laughs) Safe, it's stable. Sorry, sorry, that was my father speaking. I don't know where he came from. I can see him there. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so actually the lady in the office, her name was Adamer, and she says to me, you know, Belinda, um, Bank of Ireland are recruiting at the moment. Um, would you consider maybe going down that route? And actually it was like this little bell ringing in my head. And I actually said, you know, I actually think I might like that. So off I went, bought the But a very Telegraph. different world. Very different world. From the world of drama, of theatre, of expression, yes. of of jazz hands. Suddenly yeah. you're in a world of business, economics, yeah. very safe and, and very serious commercial uh, ambitions for the company and for the, the customers as well. So totally different to the way you had been thinking how did you reconcile that yeah it was but but when I reflect back to you know what I what I'd studied in in school and then what I'd done A-levels in it was business and economics so that was there, there was an overarching interest in that element of things for some reason and I suppose the journey of being part-time in in Curry's was very people orientated but there I, I was did I did a wee bit of office work as well at the back you know in terms of seeing the banking and all that side of things which I really enjoyed but, but prim- primarily the big thing for me was the customer was that customer interaction and I knew that um, moving into banking at that point in time the customer um, and that financial services environment 
and maybe in some some way I don't really like the word sales, but there was a sales element to it and it was all about meeting the needs of the customer. It was needs driven, but there probably was a sales element to it. Um, and I probably did see myself in that type of customer role. Um, so took myself off, applied for, for the job, had to go through um, aptitude tests that were called back then. I'm not sure what they're called now. And an interview. And yeah, I, I started um, in Uri in the Newry branch on the 1st of April, 1997, April Fool's Day, 1997, 1st of April. Yeah, so... Um, and you'd moved back home? Oh, I was home, yes, yes, yes. I was living at home, yes, mm. indeed. How did you feel about, not the move back home, but that here you were in Newry, able to get to work from home, yep. living at home with your mum and dad. Did you think that was it, that this was the rest of your life, that that now you had you had everything sorted at the age of what, 18? 19. 19. Yeah, 19. Um, yeah, I, d- I definitely joined the bank with a career in mind. My mum and dad were delighted that I got into the bank, you know, because again, it was that whole, oh, that's you secure now, we don't have to worry about you, you know, that's that's you set, hopefully. And I and I did join with a career in mind, you know, um, and I was chatty, um, I enjoyed talking to the customers, people would have said I was maybe a natural salesperson, I'm not sure, but I really enjoyed that interaction with the customer, really looking after the customer and building the relationship with the customer. And at that point in time, that was a huge focus for banking. Um, it was all around getting to know your customer and relationship management and supporting uh, the customer through their sad financial Sad those journey. days have gone. <laughs> well, and now you can't find anybody to talk to about your banking needs. No comment. No, no. Go online <laughs> and talk to a bot. The bot will answer your questions unless you say, oh, by God. the way, how do I get my money back? <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's a digital era, isn't it? It is a digital era. It's totally different. Yes. Um, but but it was great and the bank afforded me so many wonderful opportunities. I started to get involved in the local business community. Hmm. Um, Why was that? That that's what I'm curious about. Because there you were in the bank. Yeah. And you could easily have just settled for an easy life in the job <laughs> that you were doing and working nine to five or whatever the hours are, nine to half eight to four or whatever whatever hours you were working. But no, 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 no. You had to get involved in the the local business community, wherever you went, and yes. and the nurturing and the the furtherment of those those business the businesses within the area and getting them together and creating networks and making sure that that people could help each other. Why? <laughs> I think community is really important to me. Um, bringing people together. Um, and supporting each other, I think that that is probably as I, you know, you strip the layers back um, and you, you undercover your values um, and what's really important to you as a person. And yeah, bringing community and people together and inspiring each other, um, learning from each other, and in some way making that little bit of a difference to each other. That's very um, mature thinking, Belinda. <laughs> Do you think so? It is very grown up. <laughs> I know, sure. <laughs> the grey hairs are there, John. Um, yeah. So, but and that and that 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 came at a young. When I think about that, that was in my twenties. Mm. You know, um, I became a relationship manager in the bank at the age of twenty five. At that point, I, I was actually the youngest um, member of management across the north of Ireland at that point in time. Um, so I had ambition, I had drive, and I saw a career path um, within the bank. And you know, a lot of luck, but a lot of hard work. Um, really put myself, you know, out there and really wanted to, to do well and to perform well. 
um, and to bring others along with me on the journey, you know. So so got really heavily involved um, externally, but it was all interlinked to the bank, if that makes sense, because it was all business development. Mm. That was a huge focus. Um, the bank was always the basis for it, always yes, the, the starting point. Absolutely. The yeah. platform, yeah. yeah, the foundation, and then everything else sort of built around that. Now, there was lots of hours, you know, put in over and above and beyond. As you say, the nine to five, there was a lot of evening events, there was weekend events. Um, <clears throat> I was one of the founding members. There were six of us came together um, to develop Newry Junior Chamber um, and the president at the time of Newry Chamber was Gerard O'Hare and he gave us a little bit of funding to get us off the ground. So there were six core initial members who came um, together to develop that um, organisation and, and great fun, great crack. Um, and so it was social, but it was also, it was business, but it was in a very sort of light-hearted, fun um, environment, you know, um, and great days, great memories, and you know the chamber still exists today, which is wonderful. And so did I, that in any way satisfy <coughs> your desire for performance? Did you see it as as opening that door again, as allowing you to go down that road? Um, no, not not in a not in a drama singing way. It probably maybe started to give me an insight into well, you can you know potentially be on a stage but in a business side of things um, and we actually hosted um, I was president then um, of the, the junior chamber <clears throat> and we hosted our first gala dinner um, and I remember it was in the Canal Court Hotel and I remember standing up on the stage and I was so nervous and I was wearing a long dress and the standing behind the lectern and I, and I remember my, my knees were literally like shaking but from from the bit that you could see I was composed you know so it's trying to keep that composure but that, it's like you know the uh, the, swan the swan in the water you are gliding, gliding but the legs are going absolutely 90 underneath um, and and that's exactly the experience but I remember at the end of that um, well, I remember walking off that stage and, and it really empowered me um, and it was like you know we've done this and I've gone up and I've stood in front of 250 business people um, wow I've actually achieved that you know so so that that was probably the starting bit of being on a stage in front of a large audience if that makes sense other than school days that was probably the first big event that I was part of um, and was speaking at um, and I really I was nervous but I really enjoyed it um, and it really lit me up and I, I know I'm, I'm smiling again as I share that with you. And, and that buzz that you got now, is that why you stayed with the bank for 25 years? Would that would you have stayed for that length of time had you not been doing all of these ancillary events and, and getting that buzz from getting people together, standing up and inspiring them? Actually, you're, you're, you've probably touched on something there because it was that external involvement that the bank not only the internal piece and the learning and the development and the team and the colleagues and the customers, but it was also that external piece that, you know, fulfilled me and um, made me whole, I suppose, in terms of my career. Um, so you're probably right. If if that digital era had it came sooner than what it ended up coming, then probably it wouldn't have, I probably wouldn't have still been there um, at 25 years. Mm. Correct, yeah. And that was one of the catalysts for for me leaving um, because I couldn't see me in this new digital era. I couldn't see where I fitted into that model. Um, I could have stayed, you know, without doubt. Like I, I left voluntarily last December, as you know. Um, 
I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it just as time has gone on and lots of different things have happened, which I know you're aware of, um, and soul fulfillment is a huge um, part of who I am now. And, you know, I have to, you know, gain that fulfillment um, every day. So just with the new digital side of things, um, where, where the relationship and, the, and the, the interaction with the customer becomes lessened, I just, I just couldn't see um, a future in terms of me being happy and totally fulfilled in that role. That digital age that you refer to, that of course does minimise the contact with the it customer. Yeah. But the other, the flip side of that is that there is an opportunity there for you with what is in your heart to share that with even more people than you would normally meet. So this digital age, was that, was that part of the reason why you decided to leave the bank or was it the major trauma in 2017? Which, which, or was it a combination of both or what, did one lead to the other? One, one, one led to the other. So I suppose going back a, a little bit then, so 2017, January, or January 2017, um, as you know, a very, very close family member, someone who I love very, very much, um, received a cancer diagnosis. And it was a shock cancer diagnosis. Um, there wasn't very much warning or leading up to it. And I'll never forget... Um, I was standing, it was the 7th of January, and my husband and son, Leo and me, were standing taking down the Christmas decorations. Um, and the phone rang. And I just got this real sinking feeling, John. Um, and I just remember standing in the living room looking at the phone. And Peter said to me, are you not going to answer that? And I just looked at him and I just went, I just know there's something there's something wrong, there's something bad when I answer this phone. But anyway, I, I lifted the phone and I answered and. And that, unfortunately, was what um, happened. Um, so I think I was in a dark place for uh, probably a week, at least, while I was in a dark, you know. But I mean, really in a dark place for about a week um, after that. I took a few days off work just to get my head around the news. Um, but at the same time, you have to you have to take yourself out of the situation because it can't. it's not about me. <laughs> Do you know, I need to support my family member and indeed my family so and I need to be there for Peter and Leo and so that was the catalyst um in terms of this internal awakening in me um I had been to university in 2015 graduated in 2016 it was a a course I did part-time and the bank supported me to do that which was wonderful and I had this idea for writing and inspirational writing back in 2016, but didn't act upon it, John. Um, because I was a senior manager in the bank and you do have all of these questions and doubts and, you know, you know, why would I be doing this? You know, what's this, what's people going to think? All of that. Um, but I think that noise was silenced when this happened in January and it gave me probably the courage because life is so precious and can change momentarily. Um, it gave me the courage to pursue that writing and creative side within me um and so I set up my be inspired uh, be inspired to be page on Facebook um and I started to write as a form of self-therapy for myself is that what it was it was it a coping mechanism it absolutely was John yes and really what it was was me you know pouring out all of the worries all of the um worst case scenario type negative thoughts going on in my head and it was an outpouring of that onto paper and then I sat and I would have looked at it and I'm going, how can I flip this round? How can I flip the script and change this into something more hopeful, more optimistic and more positive? Um, and that was the process that I was going 
through in terms of the writing. And it was quite sporadic. It wasn't every day. It was just when no, I felt the when need. You, when you felt it. When I yes. felt the need to do it. Yeah. Um, and then I just started to share some of the words and just very slowly, very gradually. With It was just an outlet for me. It was nothing more than that. But then you start to get a few wee comments back and, you know, people, oh, I resonated with that or that actually really helped me today or totally get where you're coming from or whatever the case may be. But it was very gradual, John. Do you know? How did you feel when people were coming back and saying, I'm going through something similar to what you're going through? Did that, did that dispense of that notion that we all have when we're in a time of stress or trauma, that, that it's a lonely place? Nobody else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. Yeah, you do. You, you think that you're, you think you're alone, um, but the reality is you're not. Um, and that um, inspired me, that commentary inspired me and inspired me to keep going If that and encouraged me to keep going. Um, because the whole piece was, if I share something that even helps one person, um, well, isn't that wonderful? Do you know? So, um, but at the same time, I was writing for myself, you know, um, and it was just a, a byproduct, I suppose, in lots of ways that it was hopefully reaching and landing um, with somebody who also needed that little encouragement and that little bit of inspiration at that point in time. And that year, you know, John led on um, to the close family member undergoing major surgery in the June. Um, and yeah, they, they became really unwell and it resulted in them being in the intensive care unit of Kirgavan Area Hospital for 32 days. <coughs> and how was that experience? Um, yeah, traumatic and nothing prepares you for it. Um, but, you know, going back to uh, the organisation who I'm partnering with in this podcast, Armstrong Medical, yeah. who provide a huge amount of respiratory equipment for critical care units, um, and the purpose of this campaign that I'm involved with with them is around supporting those critical care nurses um, because they're amazing. Extraordinary. Um, Extraordinary human beings. I actually go as far as calling them earth angels, yep. John. Yeah. Um, and I've seen it firsthand. And when you're there day in, day out for 32 days, you see, you really get an in-depth view of how much they care, um, how much they give, how much they nurture, and it's not only the patient, because my close family member, you know, was in a coma, um, they were on life support, so it was really important that we had that support, and they were incredible, incredible to us, um, and we're forever grateful, because mm. they saved our family member's life, um, and... Yeah, amazing to experience it. It's not it's not something you ever want to experience, but when you're there to know that you're supported and that people and nurses and the sister, you know, Ruth, um, in in I still still would be in in, in um, contact with her and some of the nurses have, have become friends. They're just incredible people, incredible humans, and it's more than a vocation, it's just oh, it's a gift. It is. You know, um, and very blessed and extremely and forever grateful to them, John. So, yeah, so much so that we went on and, and my sister and I hosted a fundraiser that November 2017 um, because we ended up staying in the family room in the intensive care unit overnight 
and we felt that we wanted to create like a home from home environment for any family who potentially was going through what we'd gone through. And you um, saw you saw the need for that. You saw yeah. the potential benefits of that, which yes. again are huge. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And um, we decided to, it was very fast paced. I think it was the August. We decided to organise it and we hosted it in, Nove- in the November. Um, our aim was to have 100 ladies come along and we ended up with 300 ladies. We sold out. It was amazing. Um, and we raised £7,000. So we donated £2,000 to Macmillan um, at that time. And then we spent the £5,000 doing up the family room in the intensive care unit. Um, yeah, and then... That was amazing. It went. Uh, it was just incredible, and they were so grateful. But there was another room beside it, John, and we sort of felt, well, we can't, we can't leave it. We'll have to do something with it too. Um, so we decided to host um, a second charity event in the November two thousand eighteen, and we again raised seven thousand um, pounds. We hosted it in the Carrickdale Hotel. The first one was hosted in the Canal Court, and we did up the second consultation room in in the intensive care unit of Craig Avenue Hospital. So that unit, that, that wing, if you like, sits now and it's there and it's used every single day for families, you know. And I know that it was actually used um, during the pandemic by by some of the staff who needed to stay on site, you know. So, so yeah, so that's a little bit of a, again, a, a legacy uh, project, I suppose, that my sister and I undertook and um, from something very traumatic and very challenging, you know, did come something positive, I suppose, yeah. if you can call it that, um, in terms of the project that we undertook. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Making a difference every single day. I'm curious because at various points in your life, you have had awkward meetings. The meeting when you went into the bank and said, I want to go and do a degree. That must have been great crack. And then the meeting with Peter and Leo where you said, I want to leave my work. <laughs> That also must have been a very, very interesting encounter. It was, actually. <laughs> do you know, it wasn't so much Leo, to be fair. He was whatever you need to do, Mommy. But it, it was Peter, um, and he won't mind me saying this because I have said it publicly already, but it took a good week, John. <laughs> took a good week of uh, convincing and negotiating <laughs> to get him... Um, just to get him totally on side. But he saw the value in being inspired to be. He saw the growth journey. Um, and, you know, he knew that I had this vision of a book in mind. Because I, um, back into, in September 2019, um, I decided to write every single day because I had this vision of a book in my head. And whilst I had a lot of content, because everything I do is, as you know, is original, I had a lot of content. I wanted to make sure I had a really good suite of words to choose from to be able to compile the book. So you challenged yourself. So I challenged myself, John. And in a busy work life, um, you know, it's sometimes hard to find time um, to to do all these extra things we want to do. So I wasn't a morning person, I'm not going to lie, but I said the only time that I'm really going to be able to commit to do this is if I actually get up an hour earlier. So at that point, I would have got up at 7am. So I set the alarm for 6 and I'll never forget the 1st of September 2019, alarming off at six o'clock. And I said, right, let's go here. And I started and I started to create. And then I got into a rhythm. Um, and actually, you know, my day was more productive as a result because I was up and I was starting the day in a in a more positive mindset. I was offloading, you know, um, any negative thoughts, any worries in my head, how I was feeling any given day, putting it out onto paper and flipping it around into something positive and creating something um inspirational hopefully from it so 
started to share more regularly then um, on the platforms. I was across a multiple range of platforms at that point. And little did I know that the pandemic was going to be knocking on our door um, and a global pandemic and a very, very challenging and difficult time for everybody across the world. Um, and it was really during that time um, when people were you know, in lockdown situations, working from home, that really the brand started to, to really take wings, I suppose, of its own, John. Um, and the likes of Davina McCall and Alison Hammond and Eamon Holmes and Ju- the wonderful Julia Bradbury yes. were sharing your words. Yes, they were. Yes. <laughs> yes, they were, John. Um, yeah, and it's a, it, that's very humbling, isn't it? You know, when you, even when just you say that, it's like, really? Um, but yes, they were. And yeah, the, you know, the global audience really started to grow. And maybe if I was late some morning, um, I remember getting messages you know, are you gonna are you gonna say anything today? Is there anything coming today? You know, so people start to expect it, um, and sure, I, that encouraged me more, and, and that kept me going because I was a, I was an essential worker. I was still in work, um, every day, so my routine hadn't changed, um, but it kept me going and kept me motivated and kept me inspired through that journey. You know, um, so yeah, so when I, I completed the year, um, I said, what do I do now? And I said, I'll just keep going because it was part of me. Do you know, it was part of my daily uh, routine now, and I just kept going you know um but your ambition your initial ambition had been to write a book yes yeah so at that stage surely after 365 (laughs) days you have enough for a book you have 365 (laughs) pages i did but again you know there was during that pandemic scenario there was lots of pieces that i wrote which were really around the pandemic and i didn't actually want the book to be a reminder for anybody of that period in time, if that makes sense. So um, I wanted to be a piece that, a book that could be pulled out of the cupboard any year, passed on through generations, hopefully. So so I wanted to keep going um, to be able to have a really positive, generic, inspiring um, book, if you like, John, rather than having, don't get me wrong, I have a lovely, you know, I suppose I probably have a couple of chapters maybe which I could dedicate to the book, which is purely around the pandemic, which I might maybe do something later on with. Um, but I, but the purpose of the book was that it wasn't going to be purely focused around that very, very challenging time for us all, you know. So so I wanted to keep going so that I had, like I ended up having probably about nearly a thousand pieces to choose from, John. Um but you're right, every day we yeah. all want to be inspired, we all want to be empowered, we all want to have a sense of hope. Yeah. Like today's. Today's is self-doubt. It plays a huge part in holding us back from pursuing our dreams and goals. Self-belief. Knowing that you have within you the ambition, drive and enthusiasm to succeed. Dust off any doubt and allow self-belief out. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I came in here today. <laughs> I wasn't getting out of bed till I read that. Oh, John. Mm. <laughs> but that's that's what you want. You want to empower people. You want yeah. to give hope. You want uh, sorry, that's that sorry, that's very naive of me. Okay. None of us can give hope, but what you want to do is to allow people to know that there is hope. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And is that what gets you up out of bed every day? Yeah, it is, you know, um, and don't get me wrong, you know, I, I, I have um, highs and lows too, you know, <laughs> you know, the journey for, for us all is not straightforward. It's, it's, it's a series and a sequence of highs and lows. Um, and I think, you know, the journey that, that I've been on since 2017 
is that you can't take life for granted because anything can change at any given time. And I suppose my writing has helped me to be to be more prepared and to build resilience within myself. That when those shocks um, and challenges arise, that actually you've got coping mechanisms to be able to navigate safely through them. Um, because they're going to happen. So it's then how you deal with it. And that's that's probably how the journey now has evolved. You know, obviously I have left the bank last December. The book was published. Um, it's been shipped globally. Um, so I've been very, very fortunate and, and very blessed in terms of the success of the book and the reach of the book. Um, and that has given me a really solid platform then for lots of the other initiatives that I am now doing, the podcast being one of them. Um, and I have devised my own workshop, the Be Inspired to Be workshop, and I have delivered that. I've piloted it really um, and delivered it and I've had some lovely feedback on the back of that. So um, I really want to to grow and develop my own journey and to hopefully um, give people more tools to be able to deal with um, these challenges as and when they arise in addition to the daily words, if that makes sense. It, it makes perfect sense. And and as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself that you've done that, that you've used the tools that you gathered up as you were living with Rita and the family in Armagh, as you were working in the bank, as you were working with chambers of commerce. All of that has now come together to create the person that you are. Yes. All the different experiences, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Um, and the journey and... You know, we're, people ask me, where does the inspiration come from? And I know that you you sort of alluded to that at the very start. Um, and I think it's just your, you know, for me, it's the, the journey um, and the experiences. And whenever you do go through challenging times that you, there's a lesson to be learned, you know, in everything that we experience, there's lessons. But it's actually being very self-aware um, and tuning into that gut instinct Um and we can say that very, you know, flippantly, gut instinct, but it's actually really tuning into yourself. Mm. Um, and that whole ethos of be inspired to be, that's what it means. It's being inspired to be, to be present, to be in the moment. We're not human doings. We are human beings. And I think it's just trying, I'm getting the tingles actually as I say that to you. Um, it's trying to inspire people to be present to be in themselves and all they want to be um rather than task orientated um and focused on the doing element of life don't get me wrong we need to make money i get that we need to live costs living crisis there's so much going on there's so much negative um press out there there's so much that needs to happen um to improve our world but that a lot of that's outside of our control but what we can control is ourselves how we react, how we live, how we be. Well, we're delighted that the way you be is great for us. And thank you. And it's really interesting that two major medical traumas have pushed you in directions that have changed your life and have made you the person you want to be. Before we go, people will be fed up listening to my voice. Will you read my favourite? I will. Oh, you have the book there. Uh, An angel whispered in my ear. (gasps) I have it here. Have you? Yeah. Well, no, me? whichever's handy. No, here I can get it out of the book. Okay. Is that your favourite, John? It is. Well, we actually didn't cover this, but um, we actually didn't talk about this because there's another element of my story um, which involves 
because of the gynae issues, and we'll not go into it now, um, we'll now do a follow-up, <coughs> but um, around women, women's health, I suppose, but following the gynae issues I had at 16, unfortunately they did come back to visit me when I was 32, John, um, and I ended up having two major operations back-to-back, um, and that did then have um, consequences in terms of my fertility. Mm. And... I went through IVF and unfortunately after four weeks I miscarried and the date that I miscarried was the 26th of August and an angel whispered in my ear, is in my book, on that very poignant date of the 26th of August. Um, Yeah, and I think it sums up a lot, so here we go. An angel whispered in my ear. An angel whispered in my ear, come sit a while with me. I know it's been a turbulent time and the path it is difficult to see. Rest, dear one, and clear your mind. It will all become quite clear. I am here, always by your side. Remember, there's nothing to fear. You are unique, a blessed gift. No one is like you. Your heart, it is wide open. You're authentic, kind and true. I ask that you remember how special you really are. You can overcome the onward journey given what you have endured thus far. An angel whispered in my ear, I feel their presence still. I've gained strength to face what lies ahead for I know it's all God's will. Belinda O'Neill, thank you. Thank you, John. An absolute pleasure. Thank you so much to John Daly um, for being a guest host on this, the first episode of Series 4 of the Be Inspired to Be podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed listening to a little of my story, my personal story, and indeed the journey to creating Be Inspired to Be. Thank you so much to Armstrong Medical for partnering with me for this series. For more information on the services that they provide, feel free to visit their website. It's www.armstrongmedical.net. And indeed, please subscribe to the podcast to be notified when the next episode is available. Thank you so much for listening.